Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for Hello and welcome to River Radio. Uh, this is the School of Parenting. My name's Sam Sethi and I'm joined by our regular host, Rachel Tyrrell. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking about what it's been like for children who have gone from lockdown back to school. And we've going to be joined by two great guests which Rachel's going to introduce us to in a minute and the whole show really is looking at it both from the aspect of children and we'll be talking to an expert about that and we'll also be looking at it from the aspect of the school as well what it's been like for them to open after lockdown and to provide a safe environment for our children. Rachel, hello, how are you? Hi Sam, thank you. Yeah, it's lovely to be back here this week. Um, I've got two guests that uh, we're going to be talking to. First of all, uh, we have Claire Cogan, who specialises in teenage mental health. So she's going to be having a chat with us. And then coming up a bit later in the show, um, I had the opportunity to speak with Justin Spanswick, who's the executive head at Claire's Court Schools in Maidenhead and just um, I had a chat to him to find out how things are going from his perspective of being uh, his executive head there and how what it's like on life for the you know the, the schools and the teachers and children so we'll be hearing from him later on but first of all Claire hello Hi welcome hello. thank you it's lovely to be here welcome yeah welcome to River Radio it's fantastic having you here and um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do I can indeed. So I am a, as you introduced me, as a teenage mental health specialist. So I work with parents and their teenagers um, to help them understand um, any mental health issues they may be struggling with. So it could be anxiety, it could be um, really struggling with um, self-confidence, could be low mood could be anger there's all sorts of issues that um, our young people can present with um, at the moment and particularly in relation to the pandemic really providing a supportive ear for parents as well as teenagers to help them really kind of understand what's going on and the impact that this past year has had and Claire your your um your title if you like or one of the titles is solutions focused therapist Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that what that focus is? What does that mean? So a solution-focused therapist is someone who um, helps, uh, well, in this case, teenagers move forward. So a lot of, from my experience, working with a lot of teens, they struggle to, first of all, understand why they feel the way they feel, mm. but also struggle to talk about it. And sometimes it can be really hard for them to um, to share things and also to go over things that might have happened that have been really upsetting and distressing. So with solution-focused therapy, we're looking at, it's not that we're ignoring that there's an issue there, it's helping mm. them understand why that issue might be causing them, you know, so much of a problem and also looking for ways that they can move forward. So very often, just for example, teenagers will say to me, you know, I just want to feel more confident at school. I want mm. to feel more confident in class even. And, you know, they might be presenting with lots of 
symptoms of anxiety issues with going to school but if we can we can try and work towards um, you know achieving a change in school even if it is just feeling better in the classroom that can be massive in terms of their motivation so those small changes are often the key to really helping them feel less anxious and more motivated and I mean obviously those things happen anyway don't they as part of children growing up becoming tweens then teens and so lots of those feelings are normal however the last year we've had this pandemic situation what impact has that had on those you know processes or those phases that that those children would normally go through Um, what have you seen as a therapist Well, as a mum and as a therapist, Mm. I've kind of, you know, um, I have teen boys myself. And over the past year, it's it's been there's been different challenges. And I think this third lockdown has been particularly significant. Um, It really is around if you think about back to when you were a teenager, the sort of things you enjoyed doing, going out, seeing your friends, Mm. doing
hello and welcome to the School of Parenting. Hello, my name's Sam Sethi and I'm joined by our regular host, Rachel. Hello, how are you? Good morning, Sam. I'm great. Isn't it gorgeous out there? Well, I haven't been out there since six o'clock this morning when I got into the studio. I don't know is the honest answer. Beautiful out there. I actually have got a summer dress on today and I don't know if there's any other parents out there, but my teenager said to me this morning, what are you wearing? Are you going to a party? Because the last year we've lived in active wear. Well, all I can say is I wouldn't worry about it. It's been nice to dress up. I'm actually talking about active wear. I'm still in my active wear, so I can't really say anything. Now, what's on the show today, Claire? So we've got two interviews coming up, one with Claire uh, Pescott. She's a senior lecturer in education at the University of South Wales. She has done some really interesting research on eight to 12 year olds who are now heavy users of And we've also got um, a professional boxer coming up later on. So why was I chatting to a professional boxer? Lee Duncan. um, It was great chatting with him. And so we look forward to hearing that interview a bit later on. And then just some local news to finish off our show this morning. Excellent. So where are we going? So tell me about the local news. So, we've got a few things happening uh, around locally. Now, normally, at this time of year in Henley, there would have been a Henley Youth Festival, which would have taken place over the last two weeks uh, in schools across Henley. Unfortunately, it hasn't been able to go ahead. But what the Henley Youth Festival have done is they've put a compilation of all their um, festivals from the last six years together. And the reason they've done that is they're on a bit of a recruitment drive. They want to appeal to dancers, musicians, entertainers, but the reason I'm mentioning it is they want to get more young people involved and parents to come forward as volunteers for next year's festival to make it a really special festival next year. So um, if that's something that parents out there listening might be interested in get in touch with henley youth festival uh hyf info at gmail.com because they really want to make next year special <clears throat> and what else has been going on around the thames valley well uh, great news is that there's some free holiday activities and a food program for children eligible for free school meals, which is going to be happening over the Easter holidays. So if any of our listeners out there, if that's something um, that you're interested in or you know of some people, then please let them know about it. It's it's actually offering online and face-to-face activities for children aged between 5 and 16 years who are eligible for free school meals and they will be putting on activities for four hours a day, four days a week during this holiday periods because we need to remember you know school uh, children have just been back at school for a few weeks then we've got easter holidays you know there's going to be parents and families out there who are going to be back to struggling again to walk what they can do with their with their children and then finally in uh, local news in the thames valley is the there's consultation has begun on plans to create new primary school places um, southeast maidenhead the old forage bridge school uh, that looking at returning that to primary school use from this uh, from september 
2022 in northeast Maidenhead, looking at a possible expansion of the St. Luke's Church of England Primary School. And... Um, Lowbrook Academy so it's it, really important because with all the new housing and everything that's going up across the borough um, obviously we need these new primary school places so that's really great news um, so that's the local news that's happening Sam across the borough uh, should we go over to Claire yeah, let's go and have a listen this is Claire Prescott well who is she she is a senior lecturer in education at the University of South Wales. She's uh, conduct, carried out a couple of pieces of research on social media concerns for tweens. She's currently working on her PhD. And, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating uh, research. And I, I learned a lot as a parent, a lot of things. Good morning, Claire. Thanks so much for talking to us here at River Radio Live. Claire, you're a senior lecturer in education. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about what you do? Yeah. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for inviting me on. My name is Claire Pescott and I'm a senior lecturer at the University of South Wales. I teach and research about education, but specifically my social media research um, is part of my PhD. I'm in my fourth year of my PhD, and the findings I've initially written about have been my pilot study, which I conducted. It was quite an extensive pilot study in so much as it included four schools and 40 children, which was quite significant for a pilot study. But I've since conducted the main research for the main project as well. So I've added to what you've currently looked at at the moment. So I can do a mixture of kind of both of them, really, because it strengthens some of the findings. And I've elaborated some of my other findings as well, which is really interesting. OK, the, yeah, so the article that I had read of yours, which I found really fascinating but also quite scary because I have a tween so a tween is that eight to 12 year old and so I I have a tween who's 10 and I read that and thought gosh that is actually quite scary so yeah can you tell us a bit about that about that specific piece of research that certainly me as a parent I yeah had me worrying a little bit (laughs) Yeah, sure. I specifically wanted to do my research with tweens because there's a lot of research on older teenagers Mm. and there's a real gap in the research on younger children. And if you look at statistics from places like Ofcom, they tell us about 20% of children of that age are using social media. But I actually found in my research that 38 out of the 40 children were using social media actively. There was only two children who said they weren't allowed to access social media and these were children who had their own accounts so it's really much more of a significant incidence I think than we're led to believe and particularly if you've got your own tween you recognize that there's a lot of peer pressure to join these social media platforms and it's difficult as a parent to strike the balance of allowing your child to be part of this peer group but also having concerns about them so I really wanted my research to hear the children's voice I was really keen that it was what they were finding about their own use rather than what we think children are doing online because some of the research for tweens the the few and far between is about what we think they're doing but I really wanted it from the child themselves so I did hit quite a lot of ethical issues along the way because it was deemed as high risk because 
obviously children aren't supposed to be on social Good morning, Claire. Thanks so much. So I've added to what you've currently looked at at the moment. So I can do a mixture of kind of both of them, really, because it strengthened some of the findings and I've elaborated some of my other findings as well, which is really interesting. Okay. The Yeah, so the article that I had read of yours, which I found really fascinating but also quite scary because I have a tween so a tween Mm. is that eight to 12 year old and so I I have a tween who's 10 and I read that and thought gosh that is actually quite scary so yeah can you tell us a bit about about that specific piece of research that certainly me as a parent I yeah have me worrying a little bit (laughs) Yeah, sure. I specifically wanted to do my research with tweens because there's a lot of research on older teenagers and there's a real gap in the research on younger children. And if you look at statistics from places like Ofcom, they tell us about 20% of children of that age are using social media. But I actually found in my research that 38 out of the 40 children were using social media actively. There was only two children who said they were allowed to access social media and these were children who had their own accounts so it's really much more of a significant incidence I think than we're led to believe and particularly if you've got your own tween you recognize that there's a lot of peer pressure to join these social media platforms and it's difficult as a parent to strike the balance of allowing your child to be part of this peer group but also having concerns about them so I really wanted my research to hear the children's voice. I was really keen that it was what they were finding about their own use rather than what we think children are doing online because some of the research for tweens, the, the few and far between, is about what we think they're doing. But I really wanted it from the child themselves. So I did hit quite a lot of ethical issues along the way because it was deemed as high risk because... Obviously, children aren't supposed to be on social media until they're 13 years of age. I had to be very careful how I approached it. And some of the methods I wanted to use, which was screenshots from their own social media use, I wasn't allowed to use because it was me colluding with them. So I had to keep it more theoretical in so much as they weren't necessarily talking about their own social media use. I think they were in the main, but they didn't have to say this is what I do. They were talking about it in general. And the kind of activities that I did lent itself to group discussions, which was really what I wanted. With that, you know, I have myself, I'm a parent of one tween and then a teenager. As parents, it is such a struggle because you can say to your child, you're not meant to have an account and you're meant to be this age. And I know obviously that is the message that schools say as well. Mm-hmm. You've What you've mentioned there is there's, it's this peer pressure, isn't it? So it, mm-hmm. it's, if all their friends are on these same platforms, you, you, what's the saying? Damned if you do, damned if you don't think. 
That's right. And I think we're caught in this dilemma between agency. We want children to have their voice and be able to express themselves, but then they've got this social vulnerability as well. So we've got this they, we've got this moral panic that they're broadcasting their lives, but then they're hiding behind the screen as well. So we've mm. got this another layer to kind of socialization that we never used to have and a, a kind of digital identity that children are having to navigate and a, and a digital landscape that they're having to navigate, which I certainly didn't have when I was that age. And like you said, for parents, I don't think it's enough for them to say you just can't use it because they're going to find a way to use it anyway. And I think that's part of the issue that we we need to be having these conversations with them so they can have their own sense of discernment about what they do on it without us constantly monitoring because from what the children have said it's very ad hoc in terms of parental monitoring and some of them they insist that their friends are following on their social media but I'm not okay really with Snapchat and TikTok. Mm. Lots of the children have said um, Facebook is for old people and it's a very distinct platform that kind of that's the one we're familiar with. But all the things on Snapchat, and what I do know about Snapchat is these messages and photos disappear. There's a lot of private messaging that goes on. So even if as a parent you're following them and trying to monitor them, I don't think you know what you're looking for necessarily. And I think there's so many ways around it that they navigate that we don't know what they're looking at anyway. So I think my message is they're going to be looking at it, but we need to have conversations with them about what the vulnerabilities may be. Really interesting about my research was that they were so well-versed on things like catfishing, paedophiles. They knew all about that. So obviously that's been drummed in at home and in school, which is a positive thing. Yes. They all knew how to put their privacy settings on. They knew how to put ghost mode on. They knew not to have photographs with their kind of school badge and not to have any incriminating evidence behind them of a street name. They knew all of that. They were really savvy on that. But it was the more subtle emotional repercussions that really came out in my research. And and what were those? Because you were when I was in your article, you were saying that was there was a bit of a gender difference there. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about that. One of the activities I did was surrounding Snapchat filters, which are on mostly then renowned for, from Snapchat, obviously, but there's a version of it on Instagram and there's kind of a version of it on every social media platform, basically. So these are digital overlays that you can put over your own face. So I had a variety of these laminated. So there were some that I'd got off the internet. There were some that were my friend's children, my, my friend's children and such. And we basically had a discussion about what these filters were for and what was very apparent was the boys used them for fun and entertainment so they like to use the um, dog ears the big tongues they like to make their eyes look funny their their teeth out of proportion and play with their kind of image in a fun way and then a lot of the girls were saying that it was to make they liked to put these filters on to make them look flawless to take their blemishes away to contour their face to make them look more beautiful and that was quite shocking for 10 and 11 year olds to be saying that and I was absolutely yeah that's scary because you Mm. you said that there's so many there's lots of different platforms as parents we're not going to be 
familiar with all those flat platforms, even if they we know the names of them and what they yeah. are. And children will get to the age where, as you said, they work their way around. A few years ago, when my son asked for an Instagram account, I said, absolutely not. And then obviously, and he's older now and he's a teenager now, but I only then knew he was an Instagram because then he started following me. <laughs> okay. Now, obviously he's now stopped following me because I'm so uncool, but, but yeah, they find a way around it and there's those dilemmas that you mentioned. And also I think not to sidetrack onto that, but I think it's, I, I certainly know in our household, it's become more of a dilemma in the past year with my tween who's then at home but yeah. then wanting to interact with her her friends so that has been a bit more of a challenge as well so we can't there's things that we can do things we can't do schools are obviously doing a brilliant job you hear all the time from schools about their internet safety the grooming yeah. you know children are aware of all of those things yeah. so what kind of conversations though should we be having as parents about those things like that which we just might they I didn't know about that research that scared me a little bit about those with girls especially putting those filters on and where's that come from a lot of it's celebrity and pop culture and that kind of following celebrities and I think back to my own youth and obviously we had um, magazines and I remember having more magazine and just 17 and smash hits and all those kind of things and obviously there was images on there that had been air filtered even in those days and idealized but I think the difference now is that it's a kind of continual loop whereas I would look at my magazine and put it away this is continually a viewing these idealized images and these kind of perceived beauty ideals that are quite westernized particular look of what women are certainly thinner women and we good to look a certain way and i just think we need to remind tweens and teenagers that this is an idealized picture that even the people in the pictures don't look like themselves that is mm. not I think we need to normalise how we feel when we see these images as well. Self-validation, I think we need to talk about why do we put these kind of selfies on and what are we looking to achieve? So, for example, you get likes and comments. Mm. How did I feel when I had 50 likes, 40 comments about how beautiful you are? Mm. And is there other things about myself that I might want to kind of show, not just my looks? And I think that kind of thing, you're more than just your looks. But I think we need to talk about this kind of impression management. And we are putting our best lives on social media, essentially. Mm. And I just think we need these conversations, how you might feel if somebody did say something mean about you or alternative narratives of just about being the beauty and could we have some fun with it? Could Do we always have to look a particular way? I just think we need to have more open conversations about that and realise that e-safety is not just about the grooming and mm. the... The, like you said, because they all knew about catfishing and, you know, what to do to stop that. But actually mm. the danger is each other more than that because it would be quite rare to, for that to actually happen. And I think that children would be savvy enough to know if somebody was trying to catfish them because they mostly were saying they only friends are people they know in real life. And I've been a class teacher myself. I, I, I taught for 11 years myself in primary. So... I know how difficult it is to fit things in. The curriculum is so packed. When do we fit these things in? But I just feel that it is 
such a big part of children's lives now i think childhood is changing because of it that it is something we need to prioritize really and i think if we could do some activities like the ones i had that we could generate these conversations and say how might you feel it takes the pressure off them talking about their own social media but it gets them they probably are talking about their own social media but they're using just oh this image might show me this this is how I might react. I, th- I think that's the kind of thing we need to do. Can you te- can you go into a bit more detail about those activities? I know they looked, I looked at them, the visuals, and thought, oh, yeah, that looks quite fun, <laughs> as in just, just get children engaged. To warm them up, I just had different social media icons and then non-social media ones. So I had things like Starbucks and um, Google and things like that, and then I had actual social media logos. So we started off just by sorting them out into whether they were social media or not and what made something social media. Then we did the Snapchat filters like I talked about and just why people might post them, how they might feel, etc. And then I had a variety of emojis and we sorted those out into happy feelings, unhappy feelings, places and activities and how we might not always know what somebody means through their emojis and how things might get misconstrued. And also the kind of they they were keen to tell me about these rude emojis like the peach and the aubergine and this kind of subculture of using all these different emojis. I didn't know about that when I was reading your research. Yeah, clearly I've got a little bit of learning. Yeah, it's just those kind of like your codes they're using. And and then another one I used was I actually had some fake profiles that I'd got off the internet and talking about, you know, how people portrayed their identity online. And then in my more recent research, I used some extra bits. So I got some Instagram screenshots of people's accounts. They were bloggers and people who were more famous. And we talked about what the image was showing us and why they might have posted it and how they might feel with the likes and comments that they had. We talked about Kim Kardashian had perhaps a million likes, but then they were saying things like, yeah, but that's not enough then because she wants more and she has to post a better picture and she has to have more films filters on and this kind of thing and then we looked at advertisements as well and how they could entice us into to wanting certain things and beauty products um and things like that so it was really good because they were focus groups there was five children at a time but the activities were a much richer discussion than if i could just talk to them because I didn't know these children and it was the first time I'd met them and and that was unfortunate because I did want to build more of a relationship uh, with them but because of COVID restrictions that wasn't possible but so I feel that these kind of activities worked really well and I also left the activities for the the rest of the children to do as well but I think it more activities about these kind of issues and scenarios that you could say well this happened to this girl what could she do almost give them a kind of checklist of things they could do if they felt like this emotionally so that so that's so that was the second part of your research you said so you've taken your initial research further what where does your research go now what do you what happens with that information are you planning on doing more or is it a case of having that research shared widely Yeah, I'm at the stage of my data analysis for my PhD. So I'm actually writing up my kind of findings at the moment. So I intend to do another journal article and and more kind of dissemination of the results, really. But also within my research, I 
got the children to do collages about how they felt their identity was portrayed online, which was really interesting because some of, so they were actually, I gave them a variety of collaging materials and they came up with whatever they wanted in response. And and that's been really interesting because things like being controlled has come up and kind of monetarization of their online identity, fakeness of celebrities. And this has brought up, other things as well so that's there's a lot of information because i did that with 16 children did this the focus group activities with another 40 children they've actually got a lot of material at the minute that i'm trying to process and work through because it's quite open-ended research it's quite messy to analyze it it's not statistics it's not so there's a lot to way way through, really. But I'm hoping to finish my PhD by next year, and I would like to continue researching with children of this age. And is is your hope that schools that schools can? I think as parents, we can definitely. And I know for myself, and I I don't often use filters, but I, I for my other business, I had actually used a filter in a video I used. And after then reading your research, I thought. It, it just made me step back a bit and and think because I'm modeling that behavior. So it made me as a parent think, OK, what am I doing? What am I actually modeling? So definitely chatting to you. I'm hoping that parents out there listening, even if it's doing as I did and just saying, oops, OK, Perhaps I need to have a bit of a look at what I'm doing because, you know, I might think it's fun to put on the pouncy lips and the eyelashes. But OK, what perhaps what message is that sending them to? Yeah, to my 10 year old daughter. Is your hope, though, that this side of social media and especially for that age group, because you're right, there's so much for older children and there's a focus on older children. But for this age group, which starts really quite young, that this can then be adopted and as you said you know as a teacher the curriculum is it's huge but even if it's integrated as well as part of that whole e-safety learning and internet learning but looking at it more from that perspective yeah that's exactly what I'd like to do I'd like to develop some kind of packs for school that based on Brilliant. some of those activities I did or for parents like you said that just could be used as a discussion point and just to to make people reflect on it like you said because you don't even necessarily realize you're doing it or buying into this and we could look at it in another way in terms of uh, makeup and props we we use actual makeup and we use props and as I go outside would be different to how I look inside is that so wrong as well is that just another form of us showing our best selves but I think it's how it makes you feel that we need to make sure that they realize that it is a fakeness to it and if they know that and they but even sometimes I know that but it still makes me feel oh I wish I looked like that knowing that even she doesn't look like that because she's been <laughs> her waist has been trimmed off two inches <laughs> even I know that but I still think oh she looks yeah. really bad. she hasn't got these bags under her eyes and and I think what you said earlier, actually, about so we can think those things as grown, mature women with years experience of living. However, I guess the difference is decades ago where you might then put that magazine to one yeah. side is, as you say, we're I know 
I think I would not generalize in, in saying that if you've got an Instagram account, especially if you've got a business as well, but if you've got, even if you've just got your own personal Instagram account, we're generally on it every day. Oh, every day. Because of handheld devices, as soon as you've got a spare minute, you, you find yourself scrolling through, don't you? So yeah. it's this continuous loop of looking at imagery all the time. And yeah. You know, like Instagram is very different from Facebook. And for me, I've got three personas. My Twitter account is my professional account. I only post to do with my profession. My Instagram is very private and it's more, but it's very idealized. I'm very aware of that, that that I do make it look, it's staged. You're behind Mm. you and here's the lovely, you know, flowers I've arranged and there's absolute chaos behind (laughs) And then my Facebook, there's people I went to school with and such, but who I really should unfollow, but I can't help to watch them sometimes. It's a voyeuristic kind of... But I'm very aware that I'm in in my impression management, and I don't know whether children and teenagers are also aware. And I think we just need to normalise vocalising our feelings and say, actually, it's making me feel a bit uncomfortable, and I feel like I'm comparing myself. I just think we need to be open about it and say that's quite a normal feeling actually and and I felt like that myself and what I did was I limited my amount of time I spent on it and I unfollowed some accounts that were making me feel like that maybe teaching them is their control of their own viewing platform if you like as much as they can control what goes out they can control what they see as well and I think that's really important knowing they could have some control over it and also just as you said having the conversation until I had read that despite the fact that I've worked in education I still work in an area of education it's having that awareness I, I had after reading your research a conversation for the first time with my daughter that wasn't about you're spending too long on it or you need to turn it off or all those kinds of conversations that we'd been having to to then actually getting into a bit more nitty gritty and and asking her about when you do those things when you do that on snapchat and you put those filters on and la 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 so yeah a conversation that I certainly hadn't had with her before I'm really pleased that even just if a few people have got that message and I think that's exactly it because I think as parents we've looked at it as a monitoring role and like you said you're spending too much time on it without looking at or or inappropriate content we're thinking we don't want them to watch these kind of violent things or sexualized things but like I said it's actually viewing each other some of the emotional repercussions taught year six you know girls can be very bitchy and catty and they can be quite nasty to each other and including excluding I think again social media everyone's at so-and-so sleepover and I wasn't invited how does Mm. that feel where that might happen before but you just wouldn't have caught wind of it maybe or about saying yeah you must feel disappointed and that's okay I I just think we need to be talking about feelings more that's the kind of message and and like I said with education I really think that online safety needs to encompass this not just this kind of privacy settings and and watching out for catfishes and paedophiles really because that was what they were worried about really yeah I think you're I think you're right it's that I think the schools and I think parents as well generally we do a great job of that kind of monitoring but it's that other side of it isn't it and interestingly, a lot of boys in the research use social media a lot for gaming. They like mm-hmm. to use things like Xbox Live. They'd be on 
live, but they'd be chatting with each other. They tended to use it a lot like that, whereas the girls weren't using it so much for that. There was just more of a kind of a communication tool and sharing their lives, really. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you, Claire, so much for sharing that. Is there, if any of our listeners out there, our parents or not aunties, uncles, whatever, people listening out there, can they get more information about your research? Is there, can people... I don't want to say follow you on Instagram. Where can can people get more information? Because as I say, I'd only come across it for the first time. Obviously the conversation, which was where you saw, is the best place. I'm actually doing a seminar talk for Robert Gordon University soon. And that's something that people can join. So I could always give you the kind of details on that. Um, My other platforms they're quite academic and it's kind of quite a long slog of a read and it's <laughs> you might not want to read that so I just intend to do more kind of conversation kind of pieces I think just so it can it can give more and more of a lay information without all the kind of heavy theory behind it and the kind of academic writing really um, yeah we can I'm sure we can we can I can find those links and we can put that information up because that's yeah the conversation was how I came across you so that was very easy literally just through and that, as it yeah. is designed for kind of 16 years plus to read so yes. it, it kind of is the ideal really and I'd like to write more pieces for those in, in time okay oh thank you so much for your time today Claire I'm sh- I'm sure that there is a lot of listeners out there who have learned a lot just from our conversation and but hopefully we're not, we're not perfect as parents but hopefully it's just that increasing that awareness isn't it just taking a step back I know I certainly have done with my own daughter so in thinking about the things that I'm doing and what, and what I'm modeling so thank you so much Claire for your time thank you very much Rachel Oh, that was a great interview, wasn't it, with Claire? There was so much information in there. And, you know, a couple of things that really made me think twice about how I'm going to interact on social media and that modelling to my own daughter. Now, apologies for the gremlin. I think we needed a little gremlin emoji. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, apologies for that. Now, I've got a question for you, Sam. Um, The peach... And the aubergine. Yes. Now, I knew what the peach was, mm-hmm. but I'm going to confess, I did have to ask my teenager what the aubergine was. Uh, yes, it is what you thought it was. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Well, um, let's move on. <laughs> Indeed. But, um, <laughs> so uh, we've, got a, we've got a song coming up, and then after that... Um, Lee Duncan, a professional boxer. What was School of Parenting doing chatting to Lee Duncan? Um, So let's have a listen first. This is me, Demi Devato. Can't get the staff these days, can you? Afraid to tell the world what I've got to say, but I have this dream right inside of me. I'm gonna let it show. It's time to let you know. It's to let you know. This is real. This is me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be now. Gonna let. Now I found who I am There's no way to hold it in 
We must concentrate more. <laughs> we were chatting. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. So, um, why was I talking to a professional boxer, you might be asking? Well, yeah, well um, I'm now worried. <laughs> well, over the weekend, I was in a um, virtual forum um, talking SEL, which is social emotional learning. And it's all about, um, you know, teaching our children explicitly how to express their emotions, how to manage their emotions, things that are happening in schools. And um, so, yeah, it was very interesting. And who should be in there chatting who had loads to contribute, but Lee Duncan, professional boxer, international champion, CEO of his own business. And I had a great chat with him. Good morning, Lee. Thanks for agreeing to have a chat with us here at River Radio Live. So, Lee, can you tell our listeners just a bit about you and your background, just to begin with? Yeah, sure. Firstly, I'd like to just say, Rachel, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure where I can help out. And I'll just go into a little bit about myself. So my name's Lee Duncan. I'm based in Sheffield. I was born and raised here. And I am a current professional boxer. That's been my lifelong dream and vision, which I, I, I followed from a, a younger childhood dream. And I have been through the school system. I didn't have a successful academic career when I was in my early teenage years. It wasn't until I stepped up on a mentor at the age of 16. That's when everything changed for me. I ended up going to university, graduating with a BA honours and become the first British champion, international master's champion, to actually graduate from a Red Brit University with a master's degree. So uh, a little bit of history for you there. And now I'm a, an entrepreneur and setting up a global online health and wellness platform. Yeah, right. we're, uh, we're working hard. <laughs> and when did you, so your study that you, did you, do, when did you do that in your 
Was that straight from school or you did that later on? So I went through the school system and then I ended up going to college around about 17 years old. And then I attained the grades to get to university. And then I did my first degree back in 2012. And then I I went on to do a master's degree around 2015, 2016. That was a a process that I was avenging. So it was more (laughs) of me avenging my early school years that didn't work out for me. So. Yeah, Yeah. because I asked that because lots of people have a similar story. I'm an example of that. I I went to a very academic school, but it wasn't the right school for me. I was more creative, went to college, then went into a career, but really wanted to to go to university and do that study and ended up after having a, a 12 year corporate career, went to university and then did an education degree. Did it a different way round, but I was definitely a better student at age 30 than I would have been at <laughs> 20 or whatever age. And we we came across, or I came across you in a forum where we were, where the conversation was about SEL, which for our listeners is social emotional learning. So it's yes. about explicitly teaching our children. And obviously in schools, there's lots of programs about your physical, your social, your emotional and community. School is like a mini society, preparation for life. But with SCL, it's it's about explicitly teaching our children about the emotional aspects of life and how to interact. How did you get into that area then? If I can go back, Rachel, when I was a teenager, my emotional state was in shatters, to be honest with you, because I came from a multicultural household. So father was black from the West Indies. My father was actually very negative. He's a very negative individual. Whereas on the other hand, my mother is white, English, very positive. My mother's my best friend. She always pushed me towards my vision, always believed in what I could do. And at the time, because there was so much conflict going in and on at home, that wasn't created as an awareness outside of the home. Okay. Mm. So the reason why all this was happening was because everything was going against my vision, what I really wanted to be, which was a professional athlete. So that Mm. was my dream. So when I was at school, there was no necessarily, how should I say, a positive role model or there was no inspirational figure that I could go off. Everything was just average schooling and a system that I was around. So I was around that environment. So it was literally me bunking off school, not going to lesson, being disrupted in lesson so I could get out of lesson mm. and then go and bunk off. So that was my whole ideology and emotional state at that time. So then time rolls on. I actually took the courageous decision that I wanted to follow my dream. So I ended up moving out of my household at the age of 16. And I came across a mentor named Brendan Ingle, MBE, who revolutionized a lot of the education systems up north in in Sheffield and around Barnsley, Doncaster, Rotherham, and a whole around the Yorkshire and Humber side. He did a lot Mm -hmm. for the community and the, uh, the education system. So this ended up me going actually around schools with my mentor, Brendan, talking to the kids and everything else, doing presentations, doing exhibitions and and making it fun and cultural through this system of me going training. I actually lived with professional athletes at the time. So I was living with world champions. I was living with professional boxers, people that was doing what I wanted to do and become. Mm. So then subconsciously I was absorbing. And I'll tell you why I use the word absorb later on. 
So I was absorbing what these world champions and these successful professional athletes were doing. And then I was meeting other athletes through other sports, like footballers, hockey players, basketballers, everything. Because it was a community, right? So when you're in a community, you're amongst those set of people and like-minded mindsets. So I was picking all this up. Anyway, time rolls on. I got the discipline to go back to college. So I turned it around. I ended up getting the grades to go to university. And I was going to university whilst I'm boxing. Mm. And this was unheard of back then. No, no athlete was doing that. No, no one was coordinating the two academia and being a sportsman striving to be world champion. So I turned professional at the age of 19. So I'd, I'd already fulfilled a vision that I set out to do. Mm. And this was because I was around a cohort, a cohort of people that were doing it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm differentiating, differentiating between the two. Mm. Back in school, I had none of that because there was no creativity and imagination. Around the different cohort of people, there was creativity, imagination, and I was exposed to a lot of success. And that's the difference. And I went on. I won my first international master's title at the age of 22. So I'm in university, boxing, everything's going well. And that was the whole shift when I moved out of my family home and environment. And this is where parents even get it wrong. Your parents and your friends, they're not our mentors. Mm. Okay. There's a big difference between a mentor and a parent and friend. A parent and friend always tell us what we want to hear. A mentor will tell us what we need to hear. Brendan Ingle told me what I needed to hear. Okay. Friends and family, they tell us things that are comforting. Like I said, every time I speak to my mum and I tell her about a big win, she says, son, I love you for the way you are. I'm like, yeah, but it's not a bad thing, but I could be doing anything. And my mom would tell me the same thing anyway. You know what I mean? So there you go. Well, it, it is. It's so true, isn't it? Uh, so with what would, so for children today, obviously in schools today, mm. there is a lot more focus on what we call life skills. So those, those qualities, yes. schools talk a lot. And also they talk to parents about it a lot, about this growth mindset, skills like resilience and creativity, curiosity, perseverance. I'm trying to think of all the words that I've come across when I was teaching in schools, but also as a parent. So children are hearing a lot more of those things in schools. What though, but as you say, you're right, parents will either tell their children what they feel, which obviously we love you, whatever you're doing, or I think what you were talking about is you obviously had a passion that you wanted to follow, whereas sometimes as parents, we might go, Oh, I know from my own growing up, it's all, this might be a little bit safer to do this or why don't you get that kind of thing? So how, as parents, what would you say to parents, I guess, now? Okay, I'll go into it. And a lot of parents aren't going to like me saying this, but I'll say it anyway. A lot of parents, and this is through what I've seen and observed through my sporting career and in school and university, parents are projecting their children to go and live a life that they wanted to live, potentially. So they're trying to live through their children, which is not necessarily best for their children. Mm -hmm. And the reason a lot of parents do that is so that they can have a hierarchy of status around the neighborhood so that it seems like their kids are doing very well. But actually, inside, the kids don't want to do that. So when you try and force your child into something that they don't want to do, it causes conflict and resentment between child and parent. And that's what I experienced with my father. 
My father tried to force me into different sports. My father tried to force me to do what he was doing. He wanted me to go out and get a job, which is fair enough. That's the safe option. That's great. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is be prepared for the resentment and conflict that's going to come later down the line. It might not happen right away, but it will come for sure. And the reason I say that is because even in the boxing club, I see parents coming in and then trying to get involved and coach their kids. And you can just tell the kid doesn't want to be there. Yeah. The, their fathers have brought them there just to maybe because their mind, they could be not getting on at school or be out of hand and, and not being able to control them at home or whatever. So what I, what I, advice of what I would give to any parent, and I'm not a parent, 